This episode of HBR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Welcome back to Hacker Public Radio. Uh, today, you've got another episode of the Hacker Public Radio Audio Book Club, uh, and I am one of your co-hosts, Pokey. And uh, with us today also is 5150. Howdy, folks. We got Taj. What's good, guys? And X1101. Howdy. Oh, that's uh, it's good to be back. <laughs> I like doing the book club on a, on a regular basis. So, uh, thanks a lot guys for, um, making this happen. Uh, anyway, our book this week or this month rather was, uh, how to succeed in evil, the novel, uh, by Patrick E. McLean. And as I said in the last show notes, when we announced it not to be confused with, uh, the original podcast, this one was a bit edited and the, the story was moved around a bit so that it was, uh, more linear, and it's a, a more of a finished product, so it, it is a, a separate thing. Um, and the first thing I want to say about this, just in case anyone is listening to this episode and hasn't listened to the audiobook and isn't sure if they want to or not, is it's not a very long audiobook at all. It's, um, I mean, it's long enough to be satisfying, but it's not nearly as long as the number of episodes would indicate. I think there's something like 72 episodes in there, but each one was, um, you know, somewhere short as three minutes. Uh, and I think the longest was maybe 20 or 25 minutes. So it's not a long listen. So if you haven't listened to it and you like what we say about it, then, uh, you, you get plenty of time. Yeah. So this was something this author has done differently for most of the guys on audiobooks. as I try to keep the cat off the keyboard. Uh, uh, yeah, when he does a cha- his his episodes are actually a chapter. Most of your uh, patio books, and I don't know how about things like uh, all the pay service, what or how they go. But you know, you de- you download an episode, and they'll say, you know, this the the they may either say what uh get, say which uh, file it is, or you know, by file number, or by where it's the third file or tenth file or whatever. Uh, but then they'll say, "Well, this is the, this this is the uh, fifth podcast, and and uh, it's cha- it's chapter uh, eight, and it'll be chapter nine, chapter ten in that in that podcast." Now this this is, and I, I'm not sure. I don't. I, I think I may prefer it this way that uh, each each podcast each re- each separate recording is a chapter. And see, I found them almost jarringly short. As soon as I got into listening to something, there was the theme music again. Yeah, that that got a little annoying. I thought, you know, maybe if you're going to do it that way, just not not do the theme music every time. But uh, but if you're going to have theme music, that's hard to get around. 
I agree with both of you guys on that. I do like the fact that one episode equals one chapter because it's a lot easier to find your place. Um, and it also made it easier to delete episodes after I had listened to them. Um, cause sometimes I, I, this one had such a short closing. I wasn't always able to delete it as it was ending. So I had to get back to it that way. But I, I agree with X1101 as well. And that some of them were, I felt too short and I, I wished they were a little bit longer, but, um, just the fact that they're serialized on my MP3 player kind of made up for that. The one thing in regards to that that I had a problem with is if you're going to have a prologue, and this is just a pro tip for everybody else who wants to do this, um, number like a hacker, make that zero. Um, because the whole time I was I was trying to remember what file I was listening to. I'm on chapter you know 14, but is that at file 15 or is it file 13? It was just you'd think I would be able to figure that out, but it, it kept throwing me for a loop. So make your prologue zero, and then everything will work out. Oh uh, yeah, that is true. They all, they were one number off. You're right. Um... I do remember that now. As far as the story itself goes, um, I liked this one. Uh, I, I liked it a lot. I wouldn't say I loved it, um, but I did like it. Now, and maybe I suffer from having heard the original podcast episodes before this came out, and they, while they were less, uh, you know, storylined and, and uh, less polished, there was a lot more story there, a lot more characters. Um, and it didn't dwell, it didn't feel like it dwelled so long on the whole uh, Dr. Loeb incident and, and uh, Ed, Edwin being uh, captured and everything like that. So I don't know, maybe maybe I just liked the original podcast episodes better or, or maybe it uh, tainted my logic somehow. But I, I still did like it. I really did enjoy it. See, I may have got the wrong one. I, uh, I'm pretty sure I got, grabbed mine off uh, Podio Books. That's where mine was as well, but um, in the intros to all of them, the ones I listened to, it specifically said, How to Succeed in Evil, the novel. Right, right. They were both on patio books, um, but there are two versions on patio books. And, and you know, I I tried saying specifically to watch out for the other one and to grab this one if you were going to, you know, try to follow along with the book club this time. So, in that case, I think I do have the right one. So, Pokey, would you say that if having listened to the the novel version and enjoyed it, it would be worth listening to the other version as well? Oh, yeah, for sure, because there's, there's um, like a bunch more characters in there. Uh, some of them I thought were very, very funny. And there's two other books involving um, Edwin. There's there's another How to Succeed in Evil novel, like a, a, a second one. And there's also a short story. I think it's called Hostile Takeover uh, that I – or, and I might be getting confused with something else, but there was um, a story with with him and uh, like a zombie guy who, who uh, like a witch doctor who made zombies, and that was pretty funny too. Yeah, in fact, I think that character is actually mentioned in passing in the book. There's a place where they go through some of his other uh, uh, er- earlier uh, clients. Uh, but what about uh, the last chapter? They mentioned some stuff. One, I think. He mentioned to, uh, to look for a short story. Was there like a graphic novel or something too, a short one? Uh, that I haven't gone to look. I was going to, but it sounds like on the author's website, there was an additional short story and a graphic novel, yeah. Yep, there's actually – it's right on uh, the website, uh, succeedinevil.com. There is a – it's like 22 pages 
of a graphic novel and it just um it doesn't follow you know the storyline of the book but it just kind of gives you a little taste of what you know the the edwin universe is like and is pretty decent i i have to say that every single one of the characters was very you know engaging it didn't feel like there were any well maybe a few of the very periphery characters were more like prop characters but anyone who was involved for any length of time was amusing and engaging and just really good characters yeah and amusing is a good word this book was funny i i mean i i laughed several times throughout this book um just even his little throwaway gags uh, were enough to make me chuckle i appreciated appreciated them for what they were well they were well written and well placed i mean they weren't they were throwaway but they same time weren't cheap maybe is a good way to describe it yeah it might be i'm not sure when the book was written but one of the things i mean self-proclaimed like superhero dork um i love everything superheroes i've read comics since i was a kid and uh one of the things that really got me about this book i'm not sure when he wrote it but a lot of what the themes that he deals with are things that have been brought up fairly recently um even in like some big movie versions of comic book characters and i think he deals with a lot of those better than than the actual thing does so the satire satire is almost more nuanced than the actual thing um which i found funny in and of itself but then the comedy on top of that just made it extra funny are there do you have any examples that you can talk about before the spoilers or should we save that i think we should probably save it because some of it i mean some of it's pretty spoilery okay yeah you got me really curious now yeah before we get to that uh pokey already knows that uh, I, I've told him I didn't particularly enjoy this book. I mean, you know, I do think the author has talent. You know, it's 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 better than anything I could come up with. I I I don't want to, you know, uh, I'd I'd like to see you know if he did some other things, do some other characters. Perhaps perhaps you know I I I really don't like books or stories without a, a real protagonist because you know no nobody in this book is actually good uh you know, uh but you know i found that to be well he was of course the most fleshed out character but it was all you know it was almost a character of somebody who's you know uh I, i'm more uh more interested in uh preserving the uh, the stylish things in life rather than any any real moral value i mean he was completely amoral as long as he could live his upper crust fantasy lifestyle the secretary was it edna because the author got confused about uh, about uh, chapter 50 about what her name was uh i'll go i'll go into that in a second but uh you know she was just essentially higgins in a dress uh and you know really i think some people uh the people who are who are short in stature uh are are going to be, you know would really be offended by the lawyer character because that sort of you know hedonistic not caring about consequences and just doing uh, doing what you what you want is kind of a typical stereotype uh, of people like that in uh in, in uh not media in in stories it's uh so let me ask you it 
you're saying that's a typical stereotype of dwarfs or of lawyers? I, I don't understand. Uh, dwarfs. I didn't want to use that word. I know. I know. I, I think the word that they find politically correct is little people. So I don't. I don't want to go on and you know and offend. You know, offend somebody who who might be listening. But I mean, there's been there's been a few movies like. Uh, uh, well, under the rainbow, portrayed him, portray, uh, which was like a farce about the filming of uh, uh, of uh, Wizard of Oz, and portraying you know ever everybody uh, like that as drunk and sex crazed and running and just running around with no governor, you know, just doing doing whatever they feels good at the moment. And that's that's just exactly what this character is, and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid some people out there listening to book might actually get offended. Well, then I'll apologize if dwarf is not the right word. I, I don't know any, uh, little people, but I would have thought the word little would be more offensive than, I don't know. I, I, I won't, I won't dwell on it. I didn't mean to offend there's anybody. Got, there's got to be a better, there's got to be a better term than either one, but I don't, I, just I like don't know what people. it is. I don't see. I don't see why we shouldn't just call people people, but that's just me. But um, no, I, I was completely unaware of uh, the the, the rep, reputation of of little people as being hedonistic in any any way. I, I didn't see that movie you're talking about either, though. Well, I've come across that, and I mean, uh, it was mainly from that movie. But I do, you know, I, the press that came out at the time was that you know this this is offensive to. Uh, to those people of course that's that's who was in in the movie it wasn't like they were faking you know taking real actors and and using uh uh gimp to to make them i just I say real actors act, act i don't want to say normal's not right matt i've just talked myself into a hole sorry folks. tall people uh well yeah pe- pe- people of average height that and they didn't take people of average height and gimp them, you know, to make them look small in the movie. They actually had, you know, all, you know, act, actors of small stature in the movie. So I guess if they were in the movie, perhaps they weren't offended by that stereotype. But, uh, wouldn't that you say know, more, so. Wouldn't that say more toward the stereotype of actors and of the acting community than of that group of people? Well, perhaps that's right too. Because um, I'm with poking that I've never heard that stereotype for um, that group, that subgroup of people, um, so much as you know when you're saying that it's actors, r- regardless what else about their actors there are, that's kind of the stereotype that I can think of is that actors are more fall into that role or that <laughs> stereotype. I welcome anybody to, to uh, you know respond in the comments or come on the next show and tell me what an idiot I am. I I think, and I'm just I'm gonna go out on a limb here and take a guess. I think that uh, Patrick McLean in this novel used, uh, you know, made Topper so short just as a as a comic contrast to how big his ego and his appetites are. Well, and also as a contrast to physical contrast to Edwin. Yes, yes, that too, of course. But like I said, did you guys notice? Unless I got the uh, earlier un- unfinished copy or not unfinished but uh per, perhaps uh less well edited copy of the uh, of the uh novel but the, about starting in chapter 50 for two or three chapters he would essentially 
he he would read two lines that essentially were the meant the same thing twice. And I thought for a while he was just doing it for emphasis, and and then I finally realized that he had to be editing and stopping the edit and starting over, and you know go going back one line too many uh, when he restarted. So he would reread it a different way. It wouldn't be verbatim, but he would say two sentences back to back. Uh, that, that essentially described the same thing. And also the, the secretary, and I'm probably going to get her name name wrong, though I really just finished a novel. Agnes. Yeah, Agnes, but he called her Edith a few times in that period too. I don't recall him having her name wrong, but I, I did notice the the double sentences. Um, I got, But I think there were maybe maybe a dozen of them throughout the second half of the book. Yeah, they, I noticed that too. There were a couple of... of technical glitches um the repeated sentences which I, I believe are just from editing there was also a point where two or three chapters in a row uh his mic seemed to be overmodulated and and just sounded different um sounded like overmodulation and the rest of the book wasn't like that and i didn't notice him getting her name wrong but i could have swore at one point he called her edna so now i <laughs> you make me wonder maybe i just didn't pick up on that, but I mean, her name was Agnes all the way through. Not being, and I don't, quite... uh, I don't, I don't really think it takes takes away from the enjoyment of the novel or anything. Just, uh, just pointing that out. Oh, I agree. A couple of doubled sentences here and there did not detract from my enjoyment of the of the story at all. Same here. It, I, I noticed them. I didn't mind them. I thought there was just a problem with my player. I, I, I didn't even think that it could have been the actual audiobook file. Well, the first time I listened to it, I thought that too. But I've actually listened to it twice. Once right after the last audiobook club and then once in the last like four days because I wanted it fresh in my mind. And it happened in the same places both times. And so I figured it was very unlikely that it was you know a glitch in the feed or my player. That's funny that the both of you thought it could have been your player. I, I guess I've just listened to a whole lot more audiobooks than either of you guys because I, I would say more than half of the audiobooks that I've ever listened to will have doubled up sentences here and there where it's just an editing thing. Well, like I said, uh, I was I'm being facetious. And also, for some reason, well, my disorganization, I... Uh, uh, downloaded on my player, of course, the day before I uh, flew off to uh, uh, KPO Live. And so I listened to about the first half of the book on the flight down. And I was at, when I talked to Pokey, I, I, I'd listened to that and I hadn't really got back to listening to the other half. Well, well, I'll go, I'll go back first. For some reason, I didn't, uh, I didn't get the first 20 chapters copied. I don't know how I missed that. So I came in with, uh... yeah, I'll take care of that, Pokey. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I, came, I came in with Edwin in the pigsty, and some, you know, some of my criticism that the characters and all that, the book, the book made sense to me from uh, from that point. So I, I felt like. You know, for a couple chapters, I knew who all the characters were, uh, missing the first 20. And then I, uh, let me, let me go take care of that T TV. But, uh, it, 
Yeah, thanks for doing 50. Sorry about that. I just uh, don't want us to get hit with like a takedown notice or something because there's a lot of audio bleeding through there. Okay, let me know if I need to turn it down more because he didn't really like my selection of movies. Uh, uh, not a lot of old westerns on Netflix. I, I, I was disappointed, but that's neither here or there. But like, like I said, you know, it's, it, I start in, in where he's in the pigsty and, you know, I knew everything I need to know about any of the characters within the next couple chapters so I, I don't know if that's bad that's bad or good and then listen uh but you know what with what i'd listen to on the flight out i would you know i would i was going to say on the show that it was at, at least it was a good thing uh, at least where i was i i couldn't uh reach a firearm and shoot myself because i had listened to uh to, but it it did the story did kind of grow on me by the time I listened through the end and then went back and loaded the other 20 chapters on my uh, player. I mean, I, I, I said I, I probably would grab one of those other stories and listen listen to it just because I'm kind of interested in that universe now. But I, I'm, I think I might have been better off not to listen to it at all. I've been happier. Jeez, I'm sorry to hear that. And Taj, what did you think? I, I don't think we got your overall opinion of the book yet. I I freaking love the book. Um, but like I said, it's pretty much playing to me as a person um, and my interests because I'm a huge superhero nut. Um, and I, I think part of what it makes it so interesting to me is you can tell, I mean, it's not even very well veiled. If you know anything about superheroes, you don't have to be that versed in it, that all of these characters are pastiches of like other, like well-known characters and kind of seeing him take that as a framework and kind of build off of it and, and play with it a little bit and make twists on it and, and kind of lead it in a place that you don't necessarily expect. Or like 5150 was talking about, there is no protagonist. The protagonist is the antagonist. Um, and how that's completely opposite of superhero comics. Uh, most of the time, your your big hero in the cape shows up, and that's who you follow, and you root for them because they're the good guy. And in this one, you're you find yourself subtly rooting for the bad guy uh, because a lot of the decisions he makes, while they are bad decisions, you can relate to why he's doing it. Um, and I think maybe because fifty, you didn't hear that beginning at, at I think at the very beginning without spoiling it there's the the one event that kind of defines his course in life I think is very important of understanding that character well if it was at the beginning go ahead what was that event the the fact that he has a thing against uh, against superheroes is is that they he watched them cause a mass amount of destruction um and and things didn't really get solved and it was just even though the problem that they were fighting was solved, that it caused so many more problems. And he, he almost focuses on the collateral damage more than the actual purpose of what superhero is doing, which I think is, that's one of those themes that I think is, is, has popped up recently that, that this handles really well. It doesn't slam you over the head with it and say, okay, this is what it is, but it's addressing it in a way that, that makes sense. Uh, to, to the point about there not being a, a real hero, I guess I've you know just enjoyed enough stories that are all about you know the anti-hero. I didn't really, I mean, I realize there's no you know knight in shining armor hero, but you can definitely see who the protagonist of the story, even if they're not really the protagonist in the you know typical sense, um, was, and really in, in enjoy rooting for the bad guy 
occasionally. Yeah, I'm not uh, the person that like has a problem with that most of the time. I love a good villain story. I think villains are much more fascinating than heroes uh, because usually you go in with a bias against them. And then when you see the reasoning, it, it's kind of interesting. You're like, well, you know, if things in my life hadn't gone so well, maybe I could see making those decisions. And I think that that's uh, in a lot, a lot of times that's a much more interesting story than a hero that just does it because that's the way they're raised or, you know, for whatever reason, that's the beliefs they have to see somebody's beliefs develop contrary to what is societally normal. Um, I think a lot of times is much better. And I'm not against that on a hero, like the last book, uh, which I also read. I mean, the heroes were were people who, for money, took things that didn't belong to them and gave them to uh, somebody else. I mean, that's, that's at least the way they started out, you know, and I think everybody likes that uh, sort of, you know, they sort of anti-hero forced into being the into the hero role, you know, and in that book, you had a society where... Well, it's run by the run by the nobles, and they they of course were corrupt as they would have been in the t- in the time in in our history when we actually had uh, you know feudal rule and nobles dis- make having the power of life and death over people, and then you had the uh, the little people, the great majority, brushed aside, just forced to do whatever they had to do to survive. So, but you know, I liked the last book and. You know, somebody could make the same argument. Well, where where where's your hero there? Because the for the most part, the nobles are jerks, and the uh, you know, and the thieves are thieves. And let's not forget that one of those thieves was also an assassin. Well, exactly. They point out, you know, occasionally somebody, you know, they'd be paid to kill people, and they, uh, you know, they didn't uh, have any qualms over uh, who it was. Well, and I think there's a difference between characters who begin evil and progressively move towards that more acceptable path, that heroic path, kind of that redemption story everybody likes. Um, this is a story where the guy is the guy, and he's that all the way to the end. I mean, his his last big plan in this book is totally him, Like, and it's not societally acceptable. It is his reasoning down to its ultimate conclusion, and to me, that's interesting. Um, I mean, everybody loves Han Solo. I mean, he's more than likely a murderer. We know he's a thief, you know, but he's 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 that rogue. We like him because he eventually becomes a hero. Um, I don't think anybody becomes a hero in this book. Well, you know he's yeah, a murderer because he shot first. Exactly. That's a whole internet meme. You know, he didn't outdraw he didn't outdraw Greedo. He just shot him under the table, which is awesome, by the way. Oh yeah, everybody thought it was great. It's 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 kind of like that. Uh, Oh, and they did it twice. The uh, the the scene in the the uh, uh, first Indiana Jones movie where you had the guy with the two swords and you know that he'd been fist fighting all these guys and uh, the guy came out with the two swords and waving around his head and he just said all the hell with it, took out his pistol and shot him. Now, one thing I found about Edwin that I could relate to is uh, his appreciation for craftsmanship and for um men's work women's work too but for for people's work you know like his suits that fit him uh that he loved so much he appreciated that because of the work that the man put into making the suits the art that he collected um the knowledge that he collected those were all things that that um you know he appreciated what men 
had done. Women too, I'm sure, but I don't think there was any examples of that in the book. And I can relate to that. I, I really can relate to appreciating the the craft of a craftsman or craftswoman. Right, but uh, he, you know, he did that, but then he afforded himself those luxuries by uh supporting people who did evil things that that that's kind of strange in the book because it, it went back went back and read the first 20 chapters he was like uh-oh we you know we, we just had a guy uh you know went down took all our money with him so he's about well i don't broke would be the right word but he's definitely in a position where he's not going to be able to maintain the lifestyle uh that uh that he that he uh has become accustomed to without uh you know without some other great supervillain to uh to be an agent for and we see how you know how that kind of goes tragically wrong for him so at the you know at the end of the book he's got to be worse off financially than he even was in the beginning yeah kind of talking about what Pokey was saying about him enjoying like, you know, hard work and, and like the craftsmanship of things. And I, I think that makes sense for his character because he sees people with powers as they just, they don't have to try. Like they just do what they do because they can, there's no effort in it. It's just, it's not work. There's no, I I, I don't even know, almost like no, re, uh, no satisfaction in what they do. Like they're not doing it um, the same reason that, you know, hackers take things apart and put them back together. There's a satisfaction in that for superheroes. They just do it because they can for these people, for the normals that, that make things, there's an art to that and, and a craftsmanship and there's suffering and all the stuff that goes into it. Um, and that's why he enjoys it so much to where, even though we know from seeing from the other characters with powers point of view, that it's not all roses for them, but in his worldview, it is that it's just, they were born with this. So it's not hard for them to do extraordinary things, but it's interesting when humans can do extraordinary things. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that he values hard work. He he values skill. Uh, I mean, he wouldn't value a guy out there for shovel building roads at all. Right. Yeah, that's a good clarification. Taj, I got a question for you since you've got uh, the background with superheroes. Um, is the name Excelsior and him yelling his name out, is that referential to anything that you're aware of? That is a reference to Stan Lee. Um, if you don't know who Stan Lee is, he uh, he's kind of the the grandfather of Marvel Comics. Most of the big Marvel comic uh, characters that were invented like in the 60s time frame, he was the guy behind it. Uh, he was behind Spider-Man, the X-Men, the Incredible Hulk. Basically, all the big Marvel characters, that he was their, their father in one way or another. You can argue some people... Um, that he took some people's ideas to do what he did. Um, and he's the, if you watch any Marvel movie, they always have the awkward shot where they're focusing on an old guy for, for a little too long. And there's usually some joke that's Stan Lee. They put him in every movie, um, just because of how important he is. But one of his catchphrases is Excelsior. He always says it. Um, and he usually yells it. And because he's a little old man, everybody entertains him. Um, but I'm assuming without knowing that that is the reference that he's, he's kind of referencing, uh, just him and however the top he is. Okay. All that right. Mu- Thank you. Cause Corey Doctorow often signs off his podcasts by yelling Excelsior as well. And he, and I'm pretty sure he's been doing that since before this book was out. So I didn't think it was in reference to this, though. I wouldn't have doubted it. 
yeah, back in the the day before comic books became what they are now, um, Marvel would have this this section called the bullpen, which was kind of like where people wrote in and stuff. And that's how Stan Lee would always, you know, um, sign it. He'd always call everybody true believers. That was a big thing. And then he'd always sign off everything Excelsior. So that that's where that name comes from. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm familiar with Stan Lee, and I I would I recognize him by his face, and I recognize him in the movies, but I didn't know any of that other stuff about him. So thank you very much for that. That really cleared things up. Right, I I wouldn't have known that though. Of course, the Excelsior character himself is obviously based on Superman. Well, his powers were as far as his mental capacity and uh, and moral compass goes. He was, um, as far as I can tell pretty original well i I agree with you there because nobody well nobody's writing a comic book is going to create a character as uh uh you know sort of low brow i mean they all have high moral character and they're always smart outsmarting the uh uh, villain somehow because if they if they just use their power and the villain and and the villain's gone that's not very exciting yeah you got to have somebody who has to figures out a, a unique way to uh, use their power. Now I'm so su- I'm surprised in this universe there's uh, there's no normal human uh, superheroes like Batman or the Green Arrow or etc. I don't know. They did have, both of those people did have the superpower of giant stacks of money. Well, there were the. The, the completely normal villains who thought they were super powered. But, you know, I think we're uh, getting uh, dangerously close to getting into spoilers. Um, you guys want to move up to the review section and get into those? Sure. Let's do it. I'm for it. Oh, thank goodness, because I'm so thirsty. I haven't. It's real hot here, so I haven't opened my beer yet, because I would have been drinking it the whole time. So I'll go first, because I need a sip. Oh, never mind. Someone else will go first because apparently my uh, push and hold to talk isn't working. <laughs> who who else has got one that like to talk about? I'm drinking water because it's been hot. It's not hot today, but it's been very hot here, and I'm kind of on a health kick. I end up drinking like three gallons of water a day. So, great big Nalgene bottle, 32 ounces of ice water, delicious and refreshing. Gotta respect the Nalgene bottle worth full of water. That's usually what I'm rocking. You know, I was just about to say the same, say something similar anyway. I I love a big bottle of water, and Nalgene is high-end, my friend. I may have appropriated this one for my sister who lives here. She's got three of them. I just kind of took one. boy. I I will never understand the logic of paying for water. No, no, Nalgene is a a brand of bottle. They're ten bucks a piece, roughly, but they're empty. They don't come with water in them. Okay, I'll amend it. To I I will never understand the logic of paying ten dollars for a bottle to carry your water in. Uh, you know how they say that it takes one really tragic data loss to teach you to back up. It's kind of similar with water. It only takes being really thirsty one time and having a bottle bust open out on the trail for you to go. You know what? Maybe I should carry my water in something a little tougher. trail i assume none of us are currently on a trail i got mine when i uh graduated from college they gave us these 32 ounce nalgene bottles they're huge and uh i graduated in 2004 and i have the same bottle and i know it has been run over by a truck at least once 
Um, it's been shot at. <laughs> um, it's been through a lot of stuff, uh, but it's it still ticks, and I care. I literally carry it every day. Um, so if if it did cost ten dollars, it was it was well worth the money. Oh yeah, and it's fifty. Once you use one on the trail, you really just kind of take it with you everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go after that. I just find it. I mean, thirty-two ounce bottle. It's a good size. It's convenient, and it means I don't have to get up quite so often to fill it up. But even with a thirty-two ounce bottle, I probably drink five or six of them a day. Oh yeah, if it wasn't for that bottle, I probably would not drink the amount of water that I should. But I mean, I'm I'm like you. I probably drink at least four or five of them a day, which is over the recommended value. But I've, I don't have any health problems with, with dehydration. So that's good. And I'm pretty active and, and work out a lot. And so, I mean, it's good for me to stay hydrated. Do you guys dig the wide mouth now jeans or the little narrow ones? Mine's a wide mouth, but it has this, um, cap. The, I, I have had to buy caps for them. Um, the and it's, insert. yeah, it's, it's got that in it. So it's pretty cool. Mine's like just a plain, just does just has a regular cap. It doesn't have any kind of insert in it. Just, just careful. Yeah. Okay. My wife's got the one with the little small, like regular water bottle size cap on it. But I think I'd want the wide mouth one just to get ice cubes in it and to clean it out and stuff. But I, I don't have analgene. I'm kind of, I'm kind of preferential to uh, bike bottles myself, just because I can throw them in a you know water bottle cage or throw a string around them and, and clip them to my belt or something like that. And I like them to use them one handed, but you know, I, uh, they're not as good out on the trail. That's for sure. Oh, I definitely would need the wide mouth one because the first thing I do every morning is fill mine all the way up with ice. All right. Now that I can get there my mic go. to stay open for a second, I'm going to drink a, a Sam Adams summer ale. And uh, this one's quite nice. I saved this one for the show tonight. I'm uh, I drank the other five already. This is my last one, but these are quite nice. I don't usually like a beer so light as these. Um, like you can actually, I can see my hand on the other side of the glass. Like usually, I can't see a light bulb on the other side of the glass. So this is real light for me. But um, yeah, but it's good. It's it's. Um, Boy, how do I describe this one? It's real light in flavor. It's it's more uh, beer-like, I guess, than anything else I usually drink. Usually I tend to, you know, more towards the ales and the lagers and the darker stuff. This one's more like a pilsner. It's got uh, a little bit of lemon flavor to it, and that's even advertised on the box. It's, it's not as lemony as I was fearing it would be. And um, got a lot of bubbles in it. It, it you know, uh, the bubbles keep going the whole time, but boy, it is, it's just nice and refreshing and, and great on a hot day. Uh, I bought a six pack of these after being unhappy with, um, a darker beer that I usually like quite a bit, but in the heat, it's just, there's definitely a difference. The darker beers don't go over as well and it's been hot here. So, uh, yeah, same Adam summer ale, definitely go get you some if you're hot and thirsty. Is that, um, fairly hoppy or not? No, no, it's not real hoppy at all. I they in fact they they may have just uh you know opened the bucket of hops and kind of blew a fan over the top of it towards the the kettle cuz I don't it really don't taste much in here at all. There's a little maybe on the front end, but the uh the sweet lemon washes it away so quick that you don't even notice it being there. And at the the finish is kind of more um 
maybe even a little more yeasty than hoppy. It's quite nice. Todd, what are you drinking? I have a big, tall glass of iced tea that I made to go along with dinner this evening. Ooh, did you make that from scratch? Yeah, we have a um, a local coffee shop kind of chain around town that um, they sell loose leaf tea, and they've got a pretty good black tea blend. And so I just uh, brew some of that, and then uh, kind of make a about the tea ball and probably about two or three cups of water and just let it really steep and then use that kind of like a concentrate and dilute it with water. Oh, cool. Okay. So you add like cold water to it after. Well, that's neat. I think I'd like to get into drinking tea. I've just, I've never been much of a tea drinker. I think I said that last time. Yeah. Um, I think you did too, but, uh, like Taj, I grew up on iced tea with a little bit of mint in it. Uh, That's, that's just pure summer right there. Right on. Yeah, being very, very close, or if not in the South. Yeah, tea is tea is a staple drink uh, most of the time. I don't make it very often at home. We usually do water. Uh, but we, we drink a lot of lemonade here, uh, which is another Southern thing. Um, but I just felt like doing something different, so I made some tea tonight. Uh, do you drink your sweet or not? I am an unsweet person. I, I If I do put any, because most, most sweet tea is just ungodly sweet like i can't deal with it's that. a little bit of tea with your sugar right and i that's just not where i'm at so usually i get unsweet and if the tea is really good then i just drink it straight up maybe put a little lemon in it because lemon makes everything better um if it's not as good i'll put maybe some some a little sweetener in it but nowhere near what a sweet tea would be yeah i can drink some iced teas if they're not too sweet and I can drink some hot teas if they're sweet enough. So I I probably fall right in the middle there. Yeah. I I think that it's interesting. We'd point out that uh, were Edwin here, he would uh, tell you what uh, horrible uh, um, Philistines you people were for drinking iced tea. Right on. Yeah. I think he did just that. What are you drinking? 50. Well, I wasn't planning on coming on tonight, so actually, I'm out of beer this evening, so I'm sipping on a little Jim Beam rye. Ooh. Oh, that sounds delicious. I've not had Jim Beam's rye. It sounds delicious. Well, if you like, if if you like, I mean, it's an acquired taste. I mean, if you're somebody that, you know, bourbon's a little much for, you know, because it, it kind of goes, uh, well, actually, it's... it's directly related the flavors directly related to the amount of uh what they call the the minor spirits rye and uh uh shoot maybe i've had too much uh uh rye and barley spirits as opposed as opposed to uh corn lip uh, you know because uh you know pure pure corn liquor it, you know t- you know, it's less flavor, but it's it's easier to get down for mo- for most people. So when you when you tend to go towards the uh, you know the whiskeys with more flavor, and in America it'd be rye, and and of course in Europe it would be Irish whiskey, and then on the Scotch, uh, then you have you know more of the heavier barley flavor in, in those. Uh, so. Like I said, you know, it's, if you enjoy the taste of whiskey, I, I would I would say try a little rye. If you don't real, you know, if you need to mix your whiskey with cola or something, then that's probably not for you. Now, 
What, um, cause I've never had rye. What, what is the, the proof of what you're drinking there? Well, it's, it's 80 proof, but the, uh, the definition of rye whiskey is 50% of the spirit, uh, spirits have to come from rye. The definition of bourbon is 50% of the spirits have to come from corn and, well, 51% in either case, sorry, not 50, 51% has to be corn and it has to be made in Kentucky. That's why uh, uh, Jack Daniels is not bourbon. It's made in Tennessee. Thank you very much. I thought it had to be in Bourbon County, but anywhere in Kentucky and it can be called bourbon? I, I was unaware of that. Yeah, um, I live in, well, I live right across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, which is like the bourbon mecca, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, and my mother works for one of the, the largest uh, alcohol producing companies in the country. Uh, and it it's it's actually ridiculous. There's There's a legal amount of time that it has to reside in Kentucky. And so since we're right on the, the border between Kentucky and Indiana, what they will do is they will make it in Kentucky, and it has to sit in a barrel in Kentucky for a certain amount of time. I'm not exactly sure what that amount of time is, but then they will literally ship those barrels to a warehouse in Indiana to finish. Um, but they they house them in Kentucky long enough for it to be labeled as a bourbon because that is part of the definition. That's really neat. I'm also a, I'm a bourbon uh, drinker myself, and the – a lot of the bourbons, at least some that I've have had, do, do have a fairly high rye content. Not enough to be called rye, obviously. And I mean, some of the the less expensive ones, the rye is really sharp. But some of the better ones, the rye is still very smooth and very nice. So, being that it's made by Jim Beam, is it very sour? Because I've drank my fair share of Jim Beam, and it's pretty sour. Oh, I, I don't find that it at so. All. I've never noticed uh, Jim Beam to be overly sour. Oh no! Yeah, I really? wouldn't. Say, I wouldn't say it is. Huh? Compared to other bourbons and and American whiskeys, I thought it was quite sour. <laughs> but then again, I could be misremembering. I gave up Jim Beam. Oh, I don't know, fifteen ish years ago. Now <laughs> I had uh, had had a bout with him that I won, and and I figured I should never press my luck again. <laughs> but uh, no, that sounds good. Fifty. Uh, did you have anything else to say about it, or um, or was that that? No, I'm. That's. I just. You know, I'm. I'm pretty much usually a beer drinker. Though, you know, I like everything, and uh, so uh, you know, I can, I uh, always keep a bottle around. I run out of beer, so that's. Or I'm in the mood for it. So, uh, but that's about all I had as far as the beverage. Cool. Thank you very much for that. I'm gonna have to add that to my list and go pick up a bottle at some point. Yeah, if I see it in a small bottle, I'm gonna definitely try it. And I I like scotch, but man, good good scotch. Uh, you gotta you gotta be celebrating something. Yeah, buddy of mine's getting married in the fall, and I think he's buying a bottle of 18 year. You can always compromise and just do like a Canadian blended whiskey. I've never been that much of a fan of Canadians. I don't I don't know why. Uh, you know, because that that's weird because. Can, Canadian whiskeys can go all over the map, you know, from pure corn liquor to a rye to a, to to you know like a good like a good Scotch. Oh man, try Seagram Seven in Seven Up, but use about twice as much Seagrams as you think you should use, and it is one of the smoothest, nicest, most pleasant drinks on earth. See, Seagrams never agreed with me at all. I always like Canadian Mist better. 
And I was always a Crown fan. Well, Crown's there. I I, I do have a friend uh, uh, that that drinks Crown. He used to drink. At least he's coming along a little. He used to mix Crown with Pepsi, and it's like, why? Why would you waste it like that? But at least yeah, now he's. I'm sorry. So the only thing I mix is if I buy, you know, really low shelf bourbon. I like that with some ginger ale as a when I'm not, you know, drinking it just on the rocks. But with Pepsi, that sounds like it would be way, way too sweet. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I mean, I like bourbon and Coke, or or you know, even even rye and Coke. But uh, Crown and Pepsi, there ought to be a law. But re- recently, I think his job's starting to get to him some more because I've been seeing him drink it more on the rocks with a little, little water maybe, I think. But, uh, you know, he's, he's leaving the cola out of it. I think we're in danger of becoming the audio bourbon club. No objections there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, that'll be Wednesday nights, I guess. See, this is going to be the show Ken Fallon is re- really mad that he missed. You know who drinks a lot of booze? That Topper. I really like that guy. Yeah. Yeah. See, you know, I, I guess I should like the book. Topper's essentially me, except I'm way too tall. Well, if this conversation is uh, anything on par, you're also too nice. Yeah, he was a real dink, wasn't he? He could be. He was over the top in all the right ways. Yeah, he was He was definitely good. Like, he was comic relief when you needed it and just comedy when you didn't need any relief. He was just funny all the way through. I'm not sure he said anything serious in the whole book. Well, there's a couple of times Edwin's, you know, thought, you know, picked up sort of a kernel of an idea from something he said that he wouldn't have thought of on his own. But I think that that kind of goes with the infinite monkeys theory. <laughs> I think you nailed it. Well, and let's be honest, a lot of a, a vast majority of Edwin's plans backfire in his face. And if he's getting his ideas from Topper, maybe that's why they're backfiring. Also true. They're also backfiring because he's re- relying on dumb people to do smart things. And dumb as compared to him, which is, well, everyone. Yeah, and he's relying on them not just to do smart things, but to do anything that he's told them to do. And nobody seems capable of... of uh, just obeying his orders and being the automatons that he wants. I, I think Edwin's major problem is that he fails to realize that everyone has desires and that those desires can change at any point. Well, I, you know, that was kind of a break for me. The the whole uh, uh, chromaglitron or whatever – uh, him him ever thinking he could take a building down where it would fall straight down. I mean, it's not just destroying the structure of the building. You have to do it in such a way that the building falls in upon itself. Uh, and so it, it even, you know, Topper had learned sort of to, you know, drag him around by the hand or whatever and tell him what to do. Okay, fine. So, um, uh, you know, to make to make a building fall right, you got to take out several several of those structure supports at the same time. So the say the same argument against the superheroes, well, you can't be everywhere at once. So you'd you'd have to take out one support at a time, and even if the Clomagatron can you know can survive the building eventually falling on top of him, because he's going to be in there when he's knocking the knocking the pins out from under the building. 
uh, Topper's going to be in there as well because he, you know, that uh, Chromagatron is not Chromagatron is not smart enough to know what to hit, and for that matter, you know, I don't uh, without hiring somebody like the contractor they had, uh, you know, or the contractor that's in the book. How how would Topper and Edwin know uh, what supports to uh, to take out from under a building? So. Yeah, that's a, that's a theme in the book that you know uh, some, a lot of these super powered villains, you know, you know, uh, Edwin would tell him, "Look, you could make more money as an insurance agent, uh, you know, for fi over 50 years than you can for you could for robbing banks, because you know, yeah, you can do this one thing real great, but that does, you know, you're not invulnerable to bullets; they'll eventually get you." Uh, yeah, so uh, he, he pointed that out so well to so, so many of the so many of the other uh, supervillains who thought that they had a great idea to get power and get money, uh, but he he couldn't you know he couldn't see that his own plan uh, for for you using the guy to to uh, was it Barry was his actual his real name but to, but to to use him to actually to bring down buildings there's no way that was going to work because if he brought down a building it was going to fall into the three buildings next to it. Or what actually happened in the book, he, he turned the guy loose and he just started knocking down all the new buildings next to the old building. Well, I mean, going back to what we were talking about earlier, Excelsior is, is obviously Superman. Um, Edwin is Lex Luthor, um, but Lex Luthor with a motivation other than I'm just evil. Uh, and I think one of the things that, that just keeps biting Edwin in his rear end is he is not – he is intelligent. He's extremely intelligent, probably more intelligent than most people, but he's not as intelligent as he thinks he is. And usually the things that throw him off are the things that would be things he considers beneath him. And those are the things that keep popping up and biting him in the rear end. Um, he He's not taking all those variables into account because I think he thinks that he's smarter than that. And he, he, like we were saying before, it's those motivations that other people have that he's not taking into account. They're not playing by his, his structure that he wants to lay down. Yeah. And as but, far as the building, not falling straight down, I mean, that was obvious, but I figured that was just artistic license, just like superheroes flying around. Well, I think part of his problem comes from trying not so successfully to you know dance around the but I don't break any laws thing you know to just giving people plans I mean if he had just declared himself a supervillain pulled these people in as henchmen and told them what to do it might have ended differently but because he was simply trying to advise them and take a cut you know it he loses the authority to make people do the things that he thinks he has right yeah, that might be true, but I, I honestly think that he didn't break any laws because that was um, maybe like the extent of his moral code, just that there should be rules and that they should be obeyed. Uh, you know, he had a lot of self-imposed rules, but um, I th as somebody said earlier, he was without morals. He, he wasn't immoral. He was amoral, and his he had all those rules in place to dictate his own behavior and he obeyed his own rules to the letter. And I think he believed that the law was, you know, just another set of rules that should be obeyed and, and by him as well as everybody else. Well, I agree because the thing that uh, really outraged him was that the superheroes could, you know, in, in pursuit of capturing the supervillains could, 
create untold havoc and then nobody would be responsible for it. Well, and it's he has, like we're saying, he has that moral code, which is very, um, once again, going to another example, like Batman. Batman could be way more effective, like insanely effective if he didn't have his moral code. Um, if he doesn't kill anybody, the Joker's going to keep coming back, right? If he, if he could just take out the Joker, which he has had the ability to do multiple times, he would, he would basically put himself out of work. Um, but he's holding himself back in an artificial way. And I think Edmund or Edwin's doing the same thing. He's, he's put that there because he actually does believe that like the, I, I actually think that the law applies to him and he thinks it applies to him, um, which is why he never crosses that line. Uh, but it is artificially him holding himself back. Well, right. I, you know, and that, and Batman has to be that way so that, you know, he actually has a problem to solve. I mean, it, it's like the old joke about MacGyver. If MacGyver would just carry a gun, every one of those shows would be done in the first ten minutes. Well, I mean, we know what happens when Batman doesn't have a moral compass. It's called the Punisher. Uh, <laughs> they just make up new villains. I mean, that's how they get around that. I'm going to say, if Batman doesn't have that moral, moral compass, um, I mean, he's no longer really a hero, but he's also not as interesting. I mean, because... He knows that – I mean I've seen some of the comics where he knows that line is there and he wants to cross it but doesn't because he's afraid he'll never stop. He's a, he's afraid he'll be the Punisher. Well, I mean that's why – and I'd stay in DC. It's not like I don't like the Marvel characters, but I mean you know, that's why I've always thought Batman to be the more interesting between him and Superman You know, because um, you know, he's, he's – He's got to work these things out. He, do, he doesn't start out with the powers of a god, essentially. Uh, you know, he's got, and... He's got some depth. You know, and of course, maybe it might may be harder to write for somebody like, uh, you know, Superman or, or uh, the Green Lantern, who essentially do have pretty, pretty much powers of a god on Earth, or Thor, I guess, on the other hand. Uh, it you know had, how how to make a villain strong enough that they they can't overcome him in two minutes you might be right about that because i find it's it's very difficult if i'm trying to create something uh i find it very very difficult to try to create things without rules before i start i've got to have boundaries or else you're not creating a thing you're trying not to create everything um, not that I've ever created much, but you know, if I try to write a short story or, or some such thing, I, I, rules kind of help in that respect, and that's what Batman has that Superman doesn't. He, he's got those boundaries. And when I was reading this book, the one thing that that kept popping into my head every time Excelsior had like a part in this in in the book where we were hearing his version of things is I would much rather read an Excelsior book than a Superman book. Um, cause there's more to work with there. He's, he's, he has, he's a much more flawed character. There's more things to work with. And even he has a rule set, but his rule set's being dictated. And that's what Edwin's trying to push him to cross that rule set to, to kind of, to where Batman doesn't cross it because he's scared of what he would become. Edwin wants to push him to that because he wants to not be the one to commit the crime. So ultimately his, his final thing is justified. You know, I think it'd be fun to watch uh, the 
Superman one with, you know, the Christopher Reeves one, watch that movie back and just pretend you're watching Excelsior and, and imagine what would happen to him uh, or what would happen to the things around him. If, you know, re- real physics obeyed, <laughs> not movie physics, because that's what happened to Excelsior. He tried to save the plane from going down and his hand went right through it and he broke the plane in half and that kind of thing. Um, you know, where Superman can carry, you know, uh, in one of the movies that like, he carried like a whole lake's ice surface. He froze the surface lake and carried that and it didn't break or chip away at the edges or nothing. Uh, you know, that kind of thing is, is, is happening all the time in a Superman movie and it wouldn't work for Excelsior. He would fail. And that's one of the things that like we were talking about, I feel like this deals with some of the things better than other movies. I don't know who, I don't want to spoil it. If nobody here has seen it, has everybody seen man of steel yet? I haven't, but go ahead. I haven't either, but I don't think I'm gonna. Yeah, well, I've got Netflix now, so I will. But uh, yeah, go go right ahead. Okay, so like the the big ending of the movie is that basically Superman has to fight somebody with exactly the same powers of, as his, and they actually do a pretty good job of keeping it physically real. And the 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 end game of it is is they basically level Metropolis um, because that's the kind of damage that having those kind of powers would cause. And the big up roar in kind of the media and every comic book website was, oh, this isn't a real Superman movie because Superman wouldn't have done that because of, you know, his his morals. He wouldn't have let the city be leveled and the thousands of people who probably died there and all the damage. And in my mind, it's kind of like, well, this is probably what would happen. It's not like he can take somebody with the same powers of him and be like, hey, let's go do this over here because I don't want to ruin the city. He's got to fight where he's got to fight, and he's got to do what he's got to do. Um, and so I feel like this book, because I expected that first scene where he's saving the plane, that it would be like, oh, okay, this is – I caught on really quick that it was Superman. Um but then when things started to happen, I was like, oh, this is a much more realistic take on these powers. You know, physics doesn't stop because they stop for you. Um, and, and just sort of like playing with that is interesting to me. Now, he didn't level a city um, <laughs> like they did in the movie, but that's pretty, pretty interesting. That, that, that And even the villains, the dumb stuff they do, there are consequences that make sense other than the knocking down buildings and them going straight down. Yeah, um, but he pretty much did level the city. Uh in the final battle with uh, Cromoglodon. Uh, yeah, I knew I was getting that wrong. Uh, and you guys were letting me get away with it. I mean, that, uh, you know, in the, in the very first thing, of course, Edwin should, you know, take, take some, uh, you know, he shouldn't be on such a high horse about that because you know, uh, the, the original deal where he tried to get uh, uh, Cl- Chromagnetron, I'm going to get it wrong again, uh, to, you know, just, just to level, uh, just to take down the old building for him. He took down the five buildings next to it on purpose. So you have to assume all the people in those buildings died as well and, you know, and just start leveling buildings out across the city. And, and, uh, Edwin seems to take no more authority for that, but then he hope he, Thank you for, uh, for, uh, for spelling it phonetically for me, Pokey, in the chat. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, maybe at a smaller scale, but, uh, you know, we're, we're at the point where we, you know, where we can tell spoilers. I mean, he in prisons, at least he thinks he's killing Excelsior, I think, but, uh, uh, at least Gus thinks Excelsior cannot be killed by anything, so 
it obviously uh, sent itself, the book set itself up for a sequel. But, uh, you know, uh, Edwin essentially it tries to kill Excelsior for doing exactly the same thing he had done himself on a smaller scale. Right, but in Edwin's brain, whether it's right or wrong, I mean, I think we could sit here and say, yeah, it's the exact same thing. But in Edwin's brain, his finger wasn't on the trigger. Um, in the other part, he set up the conditions for it to happen, but it wasn't his intent that it happened. And so I think that is how he tells himself that he's not as culpable as Excelsior is, which, you know, like I said, doesn't make a lot of sense for us sitting here. But I think in his brain, it does make sense. Well, but him and also the, the ending with him burying Excelsior, it's seems to me more like he's not so much killing him as he's holding him to account for all the things he has and would probably continue to do. He is starting his campaign of, you know, holding all of these super-powered beings to account, which no one else has done. And I think one of the things that, if if this book would have followed the cliches of kind of what everything is, when Edna, Edith, whatever her name is... uh... That we can't figure out. Um, Agnes. Agnes, when she dies, I mean, it, if you, I mean, you just play that out to the logical conclusion. He turns into a mustache twirling villain and goes over the edge and throws away his moral code, and he's just like over the top villain now. And he doesn't do that. Uh, it definitely enrages him to a point where he's willing to just like up his game, but he never crosses that line. I don't think you could ever literally, even though he's like, I am a villain, you know. I don't think he ever crosses past that boundary that he set up. He's he's still working within it, and even at the it, it very end, he still he sees himself as just a business person dealing out. You know, this is cause and effect. Um, I so to me, it's kind of that there is a trigger, but it's not exactly what you would expect. If it was a normal comic book or comic book movie, you would expect him to just go over the top, and he doesn't, um, which kind of makes his character, I think, a little more interesting. I don't know. I thought he did go over the top. I I don't. I never pictured him as like the mustache twirling villain. Um, but I think he went into full revenge mode. He does go into revenge mode, but he doesn't do it in a way um, that would still break the, that code. I mean, he still doesn't necessarily break a law. He he's doing it all in a way to where he can fish around those rules and do what he wants to get done. No, but he was about to. I mean, he had his hand on the button to kill the Chromoglodon, and that would have been his action that killed him. And it said the only reason he didn't kill the Chromoglodon is because he thought it would be more evil if he let him live. Right. And again, that whole end sequence, it could be argued that Excelsior, well, I should say could be argued, is it is argued in the book that uh, Edwin and his golf game, uh, where he forces Excelsior to cheat, using his superpowers to win the game, uh, that that leads to Excelsior, you know, saying, well, I don't have to follow the rules anymore. And so he, do, you know, he ignores the, the edict that he's not supposed to, uh, you know, go after the Cro-Moglodon and, you know, and which of course, which of course results in Agnes's death and, you know, so again, the whole thing comes back comes back around to Edwin. Yeah, he's definitely earned what happens to him. I mean, he he sets up the conditions for everything that that, that comes to his doorstep by the end of the book. What about Doctor Loeb? 
nobody's really mentioned Dr. Loeb, and he's just ridiculously funny. See, I find him more annoying than anything. He he was he was the part of the book that I didn't like. Yeah, the biggest redeeming quality I think of of that character was the fact that the voice actor just <laughs> the having to switch back and forth and blend the two accents together. Um, that that was that was fun, but the rest of it, I was just like, uh, can we move on? No, but I have to admit that that takes talent going from the German to the. Uh deep deep south accent all, all you know and, and in the same word you know mi- mixing it up that uh because that can't be a direction that's in the book i mean the books you know that would be interesting since this is a novel so it's written you know uh how so how, you, how do you say that dr Loeb? go you know in this sentence is sliding from uh german to deep south well, the the audiobook at least was um, read by the author, so you know the author could vocally create what he was trying to portray. Yeah, all oh, right, it, but it but also it ha- did you know mention... it has. I'm sorry, it you know the only way you could do it is in an audiobook or, or or a movie. You could you could you could not you you could not get that across in print. Yeah, you could. You could do it with you know uh, spelling things a little phonetically. Um, but also, you know, as the narrator, he said that uh, Dr. Loeb was slipping back and forth between Dr. Loeb and Eugene and that his voice was changing. So just with a little bit of, you know, clever spelling, you could do that. Like I said, even though I'm not a big fan of the book, I am a very big fan uh, of his reading of it, that, you know, uh, uh, being able to separate himself from so many different characters. Yeah, he was spot on. I mean, there were so many there there's actually a lot of characters in this book. Um and they all have their own individual voice. He doesn't use his regular voice for any of them really except for probably Edwin. I guess Edwin would probably be as close to his real voice. Um the only thing that I had that was kind of an issue there is it felt like and it could just be me listening to it and it being over a, a pretty long period of time for me. I didn't get to sit down and kind of mainline this one. I I did it over a, a significant period of time. Is sometimes when the character would be in like you know the beginning of the book and then would be gone for a long time and come back at the end i felt like i don't think those voices match and i don't know if that's the truth or that's just my brain playing tricks on me you mean like gus who's not in it as much yeah he he fluctuates a little bit and then um the uh the demolitions guy at the end that he had met earlier i, I believe um those accents didn't match yeah, I don't feel like those accents match that much, but I could be wrong. I thought Clarence was consistent, and I could be wrong, but I thought he was. But yeah, there were many different characters. They all did seem to have their own voice, and you could tell when they were speaking, with, with very few exceptions. He didn't have to say, you know, like the judge said, or Edwin said. You could tell who was speaking just by the voice he did, and that... I. I Really, I'm mystified by that particular talent. That's not one that I possess, unless the the voices are drastically different. I mean, the range of different types of voices that he did for this book is insane. I mean, you look at Topper and like his voice, which is real squeaky and real fast, and and just sort of it it pains me to think of like how much it hurt to do that voice. And then he's doing you know British accents, and he's doing you know big big booming sounds. I mean, he just he was all over the place. Women, men, it didn't matter. He was it was they were all there, and they were all very distinct. 
I do want to point out, uh, of course, I don't know, we don't always get enough people to do the book club, so I hate to commit everybody. Uh, but if there are any uh, audio books, uh, you know, Creative Commons authors out there, we did a few years ago, hack, the Hacker Public Radio community, talk about, you know, because you usually most of Creative Commons released books are voiced by the author, and you got to come, you know, and you got to be talented in that just to come up with the different voices and make the characters distinct. So we did put it out there a few years ago. If there, if there's a CC I author still have it. who, right, who would, who would like to have their book read, uh, that will, you know, we, you know, we will try to come up with the different voices. And HPR is an international community, so if you need somebody with, you know, a, a, a particular nationality, we may may very well be able to come up with a native language speaker. Uh, uh, for uh, you know, to to play a character in your book, like I said, you you know, uh, probably the place to go would be if you're interested in this, send an email to admin at uh, hackerpublicradio.org. No, no, it would be HPR at hackerpublicradio.org if you're just looking for the community. Well, I think you know, I think you might want to filter it through. Well, it'd be through Ken right now, but uh, yeah, H, either one will work. Yeah, I still have um, Klaatu's short story, and that's uh, I, I keep meaning to to go over it again because it looks like it needs just subtle, subtle changes to go from you know a book to a an audio drama. But that's for another day, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, let me see. So so Edwin, um, we covered him. He was pretty complex, and like I said, I could relate to him in his appreciation for craftsmanship and and especially the one part where he said like one of the greatest tragedies ever was the um the burning of the library uh at uh alexandria thank you the burning of the library at alexandria and i've always felt that too that so much knowledge was lost there and that really set humanity back you know many centuries um so i could relate to him in that i, I could kind of relate to topper in in his desires, but you know, normal people keep their desires in check and don't always voice them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Did Did you guys find any of the other characters relatable? Well, if you have the money an attorney makes, then you don't have to keep your uh, vices so much in check. Now I've just offended all the attorneys, and that was intentional. At least the defense attorneys. At least the defense attorneys. I think Excelsior is relatable. I really do. Um he's kind of the the man child like he's never gone out on his own and been able to make his own decisions there's always the the parent over him telling him what to do and go oh todd you just cut out oh i i said that there's always a parent standing over him in in, in the gus character that's always telling him what to do who's ultimately getting his stuff from the the government of some sort um, and I think that that's, that's interesting. He, he was a character that I wanted more out of because it, he was, he was easily preyed upon by Edwin because of some character flaws that, that were interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm almost surprised in Excelsior. They didn't, uh, uh, borrow the thing from, uh, uh, from Hancock. Cause ob- obviously Excelsior, 
you know, wants to go out on dates. And, and I thought, uh, I thought it was an interesting facet to his character. He wants to go out on dates as himself. You know, he, he doesn't want to say, hey, baby, I'm Excelsior, because that's just too boring uh, for him, because every woman, you know, you know, wants to go home with Excelsior, and it's, it's no challenge for him. So, you know, he's, he's looking for some woman who will, you know, who will go with him. And, you know, and as, even doing that, always seems to be able to find her bimbos. Uh, you know, so you got to feel sorry for the guy. But what I'm getting at, if you've seen the movie Hancock, you know, it, you know, everything about him is, is super. And, you know, we, the, in the movie Hancock, he brings a girl home to his, tra- uh, to his trailer. And, uh, you know, uh, since everything about his super... Okay, we, we are an adult podcast. You know, we, when he's getting to the moment, he has to yell, get off, get off, get off, because, you know, he's like a cannon and, and uh, puts holes in the roof of his trailer. Uh, that that would be one thing they should have brought over for Excelsior I thought would have been funny. Well, I look at it from – I have a friend who um, was, was basically – a musical prodigy um, as growing up. I mean, he, he's fantastically talented still is. Um, and it was, it's interesting to see him in in his life when he goes out and people introduce him by what he does and not by who he is. And I know that that really seriously irritates him. Like the, to, to him, a lot of people see him as what he does and not what he is. And I think Excelsior kind of suffers from that same perspective of people he's sick of people seeing what he does um he wants people to see who he is i'll tell you what i found relatable about excelsior was not that he always made bad decisions which he did seem to um but that he didn't always even understand what his options were or how to um critically determine what his options were what the choices were to be made and and i remember feeling like that um I mean, I still do time to time, but as a young man, you know, it happened to me a lot. Like, I don't even know what my options are, let alone how to pick them. Right. And oh, they, I, they said yeah, they found him as a, as a baby. So, I mean, he's never had to make choices for himself. So that's – I think that that's kind of it, – it's interesting because you don't often see a character where that's the case, where they've never had to make a decision that was important. Yeah, that – I thought – that's the thing they kind of left hanging because at one point Gus said, you know, I think it was Gus threatened him with, uh, hey, if you don't keep doing, you know, flying the program and doing what we're saying, you know, we're we're going to let out in public who you really are, what you really did. And what that was was never put out there. I was almost thinking may, maybe uh, it went back to the court trial where Edwin, uh, you know, said Excelsior – in 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 public Celsius a child molester and then got sued and uh, which was for in the book uh you know uh Ed, Edwin wanted to sue Excelsior for the damage to his building and they said well you can't file suit because you can't say Excelsior you got to have his real name his real name was secret so you know Edwin, Edwin went out in public and said well Excelsior's a child molester and then of course got sued by Excelsior and established a president. Well, you know he's 
if he can sue me and not give his real name, then apparently I, you know, I should be able to sue him back uh, under the same circumstances. So I thought when, you know, some part through the book where, you know, Gus said, well, we'll let people know who you really are unless you uh, fly straight. I thought, well, maybe he actually was this janitor uh, child molester that uh, uh, Edwin accused him of being. See, I got the the impression that it was older than that and on a bigger scale. I try, it's hard to say that because that being a child molester is like the most terrible thing I can think of, but on a bigger scale. I mean, I, I got the impression that he was around and kicking during, during like the World War II type era, so maybe he did something really like that level of awful. I got well, right. the he's, impression. He's supposed to be. He's supposed to be the same age as Gus, except that he hasn't aged. And we know Gus was a soldier in World War II. So, yeah, there could have been a youthful indiscretion if a guy says, you know, look, I can do whatever I want and nobody can stop me. So you're, you're probably right. He probably did something really horrible before somebody got a hold of him and said, dude, you know, we'll... We, you know, you listen to us, we'll make you a superhero and super popular, but you can't do this stuff, or we will find a way to take you down. See, I got the impression that it was a mistake that he made, something along the lines of killing his parents by accident or something like that. And they came along and said, listen, we won't tell anybody. We'll make it We'll make it all go away. We'll make it better. So I don't think it's something that he actually did or actually should feel guilty about. It's just something that they didn't explain to him as such you know it was it was a mistake he made and they're just kind of letting it ride so that they have some control over him that that's the impression i got and as far as telling people who you really are i don't think it meant revealing his secret identity which by the way i thought was ridiculous i don't see why he needed a secret identity i kind of read it as just probably there's a whole file somewhere of incidents like the plane incident where things went terribly wrong and they just kind of covered it up to, to show that just to kind of keep his name clean and to like, you know, if he went off the rails, they could just be like, Hey, look at all this stuff he's done over all these years. That was terrible. And, and look who you're, um, who you're celebrating just kind of sort of like mass scale character assassination. Well, I mean, look at the guy. It's it's not like he has a life outside being Excelsior. Uh, you know, you know, he's 70, 80 years old, and so he doesn't really have a family. Who remember, you know, it's not like bad guys can kidnap his family because you know they're all dead probably in those generations. You know, uh, you know, wh- whoever's left his family would are strangers to him uh, because everybody he's been kept isolated and it's not like he goes to work with a secret identity every day. So it's not like somebody can say, do what we want or we'll blow up the daily planet. So yeah, I, 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 you know, he's like the most famous person in the world and he's actually nobody. Um, you know, that, that might be even a more interesting character to explore than Edwin. I actually think all of those different possibilities all kind of make sense as to things that could have been. I mean, any of those make sense as a way to keep someone who you physically can't control, but has the, um, who's been basically treated as a man child for his whole life in check. And that's, what's cool about not telling you what it is. Cause it's like, you automatically assume the worst. That's kind of the way of it always. Yeah. It, it, 
I, I never understood why people need things like that explained or why they get annoyed when things like that aren't explained. Um, the, the first example that can come to my head is, uh, if anybody ever saw the movie Pulp Fiction and the briefcase, uh, that was so important in the movie, they never told you what was in it. They opened the briefcase and it shined on their faces, you know, like it was something special, but they never told you what was in there. And it's not important to know what's in there. Just like, it's not important to know what he did, just that he feels guilty about it and they're holding it over his head. Well, that's, uh, since we've compared so much to different comics and stuff, that's with Wolverine's origin story having been vague and mysterious for so long. And when they finally did tell it, it was kind of anticlimactic. Now, does the origin story in the Wolverine movie, does that have anything to do with the origin story in the comic book? Because it kind of seemed hokey to me. But, you know, I, I, I always thought Wolverine, you know, with the, you know, the technology in him was created and you know in the in the movie it was no he's he's 250 years old and 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 born that way uh, the movie was it wasn't right but it wasn't wrong either uh some the broad strokes were correct and you know he was that old he was naturally did have the claws but most of the details were not what was published in the they did like a six part uh, comic run of his origin, and they they still did leave it very vague. There was, you know, just a couple years of his adolescence where he, you know, discovers that he has these the healing factor and the claws, and then they stop again. So, you know, it's still like 1840 when they stop. So there is still like a hundred or 150 years of we don't know what happened to him. So they didn't take all the mystery out of it. And then the movie came in and was just eh, not good. The movie it seems like. It seemed like he has amnesia until about two years before the first movie. He doesn't remember that he's 200 years old or, or anything. It's just when the government got a hold of him. And, I mean, his memory seems to start when he escaped from the government lab. And that's fairly consistent with uh, the comic book universe. Yeah, the movie took a, a just sort of a mediocre story and made it even more mediocre. Yeah, I... I you know, the, that's why I didn't get into comics. I mean, oh, you know, when I when I was a kid, and I, I guess it's it's sort of relevant here. You know, um, I would get all my comics. I couldn't afford the new ones. We went to flea markets, and there were all these comic sellers, and you know, you could buy a comic book and then sell it back for, you know, a quarter of the price later, but. Uh, and of course, the covers were ripped off of a lot of them. You knew those the ones were supposed to be destroyed, but you go all through it, and you, you know it, it was pretty cheap entertainment uh, because the comic books they would be fifty, seventy-five pages. You know the ones from back in the fifties and sixties, and you know like that. And you'd have the whole story. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but you, you know it'd, it'd be a whole story in one comic book. It wouldn't be like today that you subscribe. And you know you get you get ten pages in your graphic novel, and you've got you got to see the one next month to you know to keep up on the story. It's a continuing story going on, rather than you know a whole a whole story. It starts and finishes in the comic book, and you know you you would have like Green Lan a Green Lantern story, and then you'd have Green Arrow, 
in the back. And I never knew Green Arrow was supposed to be rich because, you know, all the ones I saw, he was like this, you know, bohemian, you know, hanging out guy, you know, and he didn't, you know, they didn't show him smoking dope, but you knew that he did and hanging out with the Black Canary and all. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it you know, and, and then, you know, when I became more of an adult, uh, it, you know, it changed, like, I think in the 80s, uh, maybe in the 70s, but, you know, where this, you know, they figured out, let's serialize these things, and you can't just go buy them in the store, you're going to have to subscribe to the comic, and then we'll do, you know, we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll do, uh, you know, crossovers with other comics, and, the, and then know what's going on, you've got to cross over this other comic, and then any time now, that you go that you go to the uh, you know Wikipedia to figure out what the heck is going on in comics and it's like you know I remember Earth One and Earth Two and now they've you know now you have thirty Earths and there's like you know well Earth Prime was our Earth where there's no uh, no superheroes uh but you know it, it's the thirty Earths or whatever and then there was the cataclysm or whatever that destroyed all the earths and put it back to one and rebooted all the stories and and uh it's it's it makes my head hurt to look at it well that's ultimately why like you've got the companies doing things that they've done recently like you've got marvel where they came up with the ultimates universe which was kind of just a a reboot um of the marvel universe with no backstory so they could kind of start over and the, the idea was hey you can jump in here and you don't have to know that old backstory but if you do it's an alternate universe so we can play around with it a little bit or like dc a couple of years ago did the new 52 where they just completely rebooted everything they were just like everything else got thrown out except for i think batman and green lantern's continuity got changed but it, it was the same or it, it is extremely confusing um but i think that's in when you were talking about the 80s there was i feel like and because i was around when that happened that was when the big shift towards the type of storytelling that that goes on today which is more adult it's not you know back in the the 60s you're looking at some of those comic books and you're like, really, this is, this is childish. Um, it kind of grew up and they, they were telling more adult stories to where you, you see, you know, the, like the movies now, like the dark Knight, and you see that and you're like, that is a very complex adult story um, that came out of comic books. Um, not that story in particular, because it's not really based off of any one story, but just the storytelling has changed um, immensely. And I think this book is kind of an offshoot of that. Um, just sort of looking at all the, all those, those different details that kind of get woven in and those themes and stuff that have been brought up um, and just kind of satirizing it in, in a way, because I think as funny as this book is at the end of the day, that when you get to the end of the book, you're like, Oh, this, this does have something to say. And what is that? then? I'm not quite sure. Like, it's one of those things where, like, you can read into it a bunch of different things. Um, and to me, it's, you, you know, that sort of the triumph of of the normal over the superhuman. Um, because you see, I mean, comic books are absurd. I mean, you see some of the things that some of these superheroes can do, and you're just like, that, that's ridiculous. If that really existed, um, it, it would be like, I mean, it's... Uh, 
jumping the streams, Godzilla. Godzilla is a metaphor for, you know, the atomic weapon. Um, and, and sort of a lot of superheroes are that. I mean, they would be the nuclear option if they really existed. Uh, human beings probably wouldn't last very long in a world where that existed and where those kinds of people were fighting each other back and forth. Um, this kind of has, you know, that you c- they still have weaknesses and, and those weaknesses could be exploited. Um, I think it's interesting that Excelsior doesn't have a kryptonite. Um, and, and in Superman's history, they invented kryptonite because, they, you know, there's no stakes with, with somebody who's invulnerable. So they had to create something that made him invulnerable. Um, and here they, his invulnerability isn't, uh, you know, a MacGuffin that they can just throw out. It's, it's literally his psyche. Like they are playing him against his own mental capacity or his own, his own life experience, I think, which is, which is really, really important to say. Well, I mean, uh, all all the people, you know, in, in the normal genre of uh, superhero dumb, uh, you know, have been exceptional people. I mean, you know, these these powers have been granted to people who actually can uh, handle the power. Even even the greatest American hero muddled through, uh, but. Uh, you know this. You know this book says, okay, you're going to randomly throw out superpowers. You're going to hit a few people who are, you know, either incredibly stupid or no better than average. And uh, this, you know, this is what happens. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why. As much as I'm not a big X-Men fan, I never have been. Um, but I do think it's probably one of the more um, I won't say realistic. It, it, it makes more sense because it is just a random choice. People just get powers and some people, you know, use those powers for good. You know, you're X-Men. Some people have those powers and they use it for what they believe is good, even though, you know, it may not actually be good. And you're like, those are like your magnetos and, and stuff like that. And then you've got people who are just, you know, I've got these powers and I'm going to do what I want and nobody's going to stop me. Um that's probably a little more realistic. There would be people who did good things with those powers, but like in this book, there are people that a have the powers and use them specifically to do bad things or B um, they just use them because they can. And they're not smart enough to realize what they're, what they're doing. Um, like the Cromoglodon, he, he has no idea what he's doing. Um, he just happens to have these powers and that that's dangerous. That's somebody uh, and Edwin comes in and he controls that missile. He points where it goes. Um, it, that's interesting to me. Well, yeah, you bring up the X-Men. That is one of the, you know, as far as the quote villains, uh, one of the more interesting examples because, you know, the villains of the X-Men, you know, in, in their heads, they're, they're the heroes because, you know, uh, yeah, Magneto, you know, he, he, he's a concentration camp survivor so he you know he already knows what it is when the society decides well you you know you're part of this group and we'll exterminate you and uh you know the that's the whole thing even though the x-men you know are are dedicated to protecting you know all of humanity including the non-enhanced part there is a significant part of the uh, normal part of humanity who is, you know, are frightened 
by these people with extraordinary powers and and thanks for the survival of the species they they have to be wiped out you know so the 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 the, the magneto group uh sees himself well we're the uh persecute uh persecuted minority and all we're doing is you know it is ensuring our survival and that's uh, but the key difference was always though the X-Men wanted to survive as equals, whereas Magneto and his various groups always wanted not just survival, but supremacy. So it was, I mean, the difference between a group of equals and, well, because we have these powers, we're better than you. And that was cool yes, because but, it, so, so, it to, Sorry. Um, that was cool because it always leads to, there's always enough in common between those two ideologies to where you get those fist pumping moments when they're both on the same side and you're like okay we don't really agree but we're gonna we're gonna do this because there is something that has the same power as us that is more detrimental than than what we are trying to do you know like we'll put our stuff aside for right now we'll deal with that later but right now we got to deal with this um which is um just a matter of kind of scale like of what is more dangerous than than anything else which i think a lot of other things lack it's just black and white a lot of the time yeah you always have the story where the aliens come and they have to you know they have to join forces i mean even stephen king brought that up in his uh oh he had this weird set of model uh of uh novels where dream dreams of heroes coming in and, and villains coming in in vans i forget what the two are but one he, he did a couple and then one was like a, a a complete reboot because of the same characters but not with the same same history it was kind of freaky see now i think that's where those superhero stories kind of contrast with this story because in this story it uh i don't think you would ever see these superheroes or supervillains um, being able to get together and work together. Number one, their egos were all way too huge. Number two, none of them were very smart. Even though some of them were intelligent, um, it, it almost seemed like having these superpowers just gave all these people um, the, uh, the, the I don't know, not really privilege, but... Um, it gave them motivation to skip things like school and practice and learning and, and being able to master some skill. They all just kind of had their natural abilities and called upon them when they needed and didn't really seem to work very hard at anything else. So I don't see them being able to, you know, come up with a plan to work together or to, to have anything to do with one another that way. And I see that kind of um, just like, a parallel of real life. Um, if anybody's a fan of these shows, I'm sorry. And I apologize, but not really. Um, my wife loves those real housewife shows that are, there's like 20 different versions of them. And those shows sh are pretty much that people who have come from privilege that didn't have to work hard for anything. And they're not that bright a lot of the time. Um, and I think that that's probably a good model uh, for kind of the, the interaction in these books or, or in this book specifically is that, you know, they come from privilege and it's a different kind of privilege, but it's still the same thing. And it, it, I could see where that would kind of give you that overinflated ego and make you feel like, oh, I don't have to do this stuff because I'm above it, because that's kind of what you see with people who are in that position without powers. Yeah, you said it better than I did. 
maybe that's what the book was trying to say is that don't don't rely just on your natural talents and natural skills uh, to carry you through life, that you can actually work at things and become proficient. Oh, see, the the thing that I kind of got that seemed to be Edwin's driving force through most of it was that everyone is accountable for their actions. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, that seems to, to be his overarching problem with the supers of any kind was that there was no way to hold them accountable and it seemed like that was really his 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 problem with that was you know if topper wrongs him you take him to court get redress and the law makes it right one way or another if you know excelsior wrongs him there's nothing anybody can do about it no and excelsior put a real fine point on that when he basically refused to obey the court's authority and uh, kind of talked himself into a corner and, and stupidly accepted a challenge or, or placed a challenge that he then couldn't, his, his own ego wouldn't have let him back out of it. Now, one thing I just thought of, and that's, this may have more to do with the author than the, uh, than the story, but I, I just realized there are no female superheroes or supervillains mentioned in the story. I had a theory on that. Uh, and I think that has more to do with voices because he he did the secretary pretty well, but she was a particular sort of person with that British accent, and she she was as much comic relief as Topper was. Um, and I think the only other females in the book were the occasional hooker. Uh, well, and, and uh, Doctor Loeb's mother, who was also comic relief and and just a, a travesty. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there were really any just normal women in the book and that might have to do with him not having a very convincing woman's voice. I, I don't know. All the women he did voice were convincing, but they were, uh, kind of just implementations of the stereotype, maybe even drawn out some to be even more, you know, pointed at that. Yeah, because I I saw the uh and uh whatever character <laughs> that we can't remember she's Alfred that she's just Alfred as a female. Oh yeah, even down to the secretly being awesome at things it, that you wouldn't expect. Angle, she's just Alfred as as, as a female. Okay, I have to, I have to admit that I said Higgins, but Alfred may fit better. I did chuckle at the Higgins comment because I was <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that that guy. I don't know who that is. Oh, come on. I've never been into superheroes until some of the series on patio books. And I, I have to admit, I actually kind of like superhero stories. But maybe just because they're superhero stories and not comic books. Because I just I never really liked comic books. But no, I have no idea who Higgins is. You mean is. to tell me you've never seen Magnum, P.I.? No, I don't think I have. Tom Selleck, right? Oh, dude, dude. Jump off the show right now and, and find it on Netflix. They must have it. Yeah, I don't have Netflix either. Um, speaking of jumping off the show, we're hitting about the two-hour mark here at the recording, and uh, the last one took me an embarrassingly long time to edit down. Um, do you guys have any closing thoughts on this one? I was going to say, it must be a lot better book than, than I thought, because I think we've been. this may be a historically long uh, book review. Or it was worse than the rest of us thought, because I don't think we've ever rat-holed a book club this much. I think most of our rat holes started with with a valid point. 
Yeah, probably. We, we do have to decide on the next book so we can tell people what to read. Yeah, I think uh, X1 101 has picked that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so before we do that, any closing thoughts or are we all set? I'm set. It's a good book. If you're into superheroes, go check it out. Um, it's 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 worth a read. See, I didn't really think about it as a superhero book. I mean, you know, yeah, that's that's you didn't that's kind the of guy part. With the cape. That, well, I mean, that's that's part of it. I mean, that's why Edwin does what he does. But I'm, you know, I I, I still think the peripheral or, or the superheroes were peripheral to the story. Well, if it wasn't a superhero book, what did you think of it as? I guess a how to be evil book. I don't, you know, like like I said, you know, I I I think we ought to avoid in the future avoid how to a, and uh, handbook, you know, stories of how to and handbook in the title. But uh, you know, like I said, this is the first one I've actually joined in on, so my opinion shouldn't carry much weight. Oh, that's all right. My thought on this was that um, this I think this might have been. If it wasn't the first, it was one of the first, like maybe first three uh, superhero stories that I ever, you know, listened to or read or anything like that. I mean, of course, I've seen a couple of movies, but I never really got into superhero movies either. But, um, you know, having liked this one, I went out and searched out a few more uh, specifically on patio books. And Mer Lafferty does a good job with um, with superheroes. Uh, and there's another one, I think it was called Brave Men Run, um, that really deals with, with superheroes in a way similar to this, where, it, you know, how do they get along in the real world with real people around? And um, I liked those a lot. Those were, those were uh, and I forget what Mert Lafferty's, I, I think she's a couple, but I know one was playing for keeps, where it was a bunch of these superheroes that have really minor or just absurdly odd powers um it was they were both really fun and then uh there was one more that was just kind of kind of weird where this guy was just it seemed like he was just barely a superhero it was one called axiom man that was also a, a patio books uh novel that that i liked I, I liked all three of those and uh if if you liked this and you liked about it that it wasn't like the traditional uh, DC or Marvel comics book in uh, or, or comic book in every way. Those those were a lot of fun, and I'd recommend those. And uh, also the the Secret World Chronicles uh, that series is is I enjoy that too. Although these said... Lafferty books, as you describe them, remind me of the uh, uh, of the movie Mystery Men. Uh, I, I was thinking we're talking about, uh, superheroes, maybe not living up to the, uh, to the brand. I, I'm, I was about to buy them. I'm glad I didn't buy the movie at Walmart cause, uh, it came out on TV about the time it was get it's getting close to being cheap enough, but it was, the, it was the second Iron Man movie. And really I, I didn't like, the, it, it was just Robert Downey Jr. being drunk. For the first two thirds of the movie, with superpowers, and then finally sobering up enough because things were coming at him at the end to to to, to step up and save the world again. I, I didn't like that movie at all. Yeah, see, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, they're just like Robert. We want you to be you, but with more money and a lot smarter. Is is really all it is. And to be fair, that is pretty much Iron Man's character for a good portion of his run. 
I'm drunk all the time, and then I have to sober up to be a superhero. Well, that's what I mean. I, I one of the the crazy internet memes that I've seen is on a scale of I, uh, Robert Downey Jr. to Misha Collins. How much like your character are you? And Misha Collins is this you know goofy, carefree guy who plays a not at all like that. So it, it, the opposite thereof. And I thought I was the only person that ever saw Mystery Men. But yes, if that movie were any good, it would be Mer Lafferty's book. Yeah, I want to second that uh, recommendation. Mer Lafferty, The Plane for Keeps is awesome. Well, I like the concept of Mystery Men, so I'm going to have to look up those books. Yeah, the, the concept was good. It just was a really terrible movie. So yeah, our next book, uh, thanks to X1101, and, and I got to get behind this one. I liked this one too. I've already heard this one. Uh, Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom by Cory Doctorow. Um, so that, I, I think it's an excellent pick. It's, um, boy, if somebody doesn't know Cory Doctorow, how would you describe his writing? <laughs> awesome. Oh, I, I tried that one on audio books, and I, I got two chapters in and could not stand the thing. But I, I guess I'll take another one for the team and, and, and uh, listen through it. I've already got it downloaded. And see, I I listened to both this one and Eastern Standard Tribe, which is also very good. And that one was read by him, and I really wanted to go with that one, but I really think Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom is a more interesting story. It is. It it gets into some some topics and some themes that you you might not normally think about when thinking about science fiction. It is science fiction, make no mistake. I'm glad you picked this one because this is one of the Cory Doctorow ones I haven't gotten to. So that that good choice. I think this is. I think this was his first book. You may be correct in that it was his first his first novel that he that he completed. I think he's got he's got a bunch of short stories. I think before this, but I think you're right that it's his first novel. Well, it should be should make for an interesting one the next time. Of course, I've I've made no secret on um, other cast uh that we should get around sometime to the to uh the latest effort of a friend of the show and i'll i'll leave it at that because having participated only once in, in this uh you know in this fo- forum uh i don't think i'm at the point where i should be trying to dictate what the next book is but uh i hope we get to it eventually no exactly the opposite this is only my uh my uh, second uh go round and I'm suggesting the next one. So if you've got a suggestion the month after that, probably, unless somebody else has one. Yeah. Well, I, I will jump in and say 50. I know what you're talking about. We discussed it on the last um, audio book club. Uh, you're talking about lost in Bronx's book um, street candles. And I, I said, we definitely have to do that one. He's a member of the community. He's a friend of ours and it's an incredible book. It's just not finished yet. So we're just waiting for him to finish it before we do that. Uh, and don't think that just cause you're new that you can't pick the book. Um, traditionally the book has always been picked by the newest member of the book club. And the only reason X one one Oh one didn't pick last week is cause, uh, Somebody else who was new did. We've had a bunch of new people lately, so don't don't think you don't get to pick the book. I mean, that's that's what it's about. Uh, you know, you, you're you're on the list for picking one. Todd is on the list for picking one as well. Yeah, I think by the time it'll be finished, by the uh, time there's another book club, but certainly, you know, uh, by the time we talk again, I think we'll have the whole thing. Speaking of, and I had emailed Pokey about this already. I 
would like to try and move next month to the 15th, which is the third Tuesday, because you know I'm suggesting the book, but I am on vacation on the 8th and will not be able to take time out to chat with you lovely people. Yeah, I was just about I, to mention that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I've got some things going on in uh, early July, too, that will make pushing it back a week more convenient for me. Yeah, I have no objection. You guys start a little little early for me, but I made it this time, so you know, I can with a little effort I can I can make it around next time. That should work for me. All right, great. Yeah, cuz and and I know we discussed this on a previous show, but it it's worth repeating for 5150 and for anyone who's listening that hasn't listened before, but yeah, we kind of um I picked uh the second Tuesday of each month uh to be the book club night because it's patch Tuesday and that's kind of my little tongue in cheek way of saying that, you know, we, we won't be doing patches. We've got a free night, you know, while everybody else is, is trying to, uh, you know, correct their windows machine that we can do this instead. But, uh, I don't know. You guys probably heard me booting up my wife's computer earlier. Cause still got to patch her machine. But, I know that feel bro. But yeah, we'll push it to the third Tuesday for July and, um, I will make another Google Calendar event, if that's okay with everybody, and I'll publish the list. And I, I do want to say, actually, um, for anyone who's considering participating, probably the best thing you can do at this point is join the um, the HPR mailing list, because we're recording this show before the previous one is even published. And the queue is very healthy at the moment, so that trend may continue for a few months. Um, it, 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 and we hope it continues that way. We'd like to have a nice full queue at HPR. So if you want to be part of the audiobook club, just join the, the HPR mailing list and um, just say that you want to be in the book club. I have my own little mailing list that I that I send updates like that out to people. Um, but that's the way to, to get in on it if anybody's interested. And I did want and, to and we don't have, or, or the book club doesn't have a reserve spot in the queue, does it? No, no, no. And I did want to bring up the queue. Thanks for mentioning that, Pokey. It seems like, you know, a month or so ago, we were down to one or two shows before we hit the emergency queue, and uh, the call went out, and the community really stepped up and answered that call. I know I recorded a show and uploaded it just over a week ago, and, or no, two or three weeks ago, and it was I was a month out, and that was just awesome to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I looked at the other yesterday, and I think it's forty five days. So people be hearing this in August, I think. Yeah, at the time that we recorded um, May's episode, there were four shows left in the queue, and we were we were probably going to go out the the next week. You know, if we had been able to upload it that night, um, by the end of the week, it had gone from four to thirty. And then by the time I got the show uploaded, which unfortunately was like three weeks later, uh, so so 15 shows had been used up, and it was still up at 40 or 45 when I got it posted last Friday. So uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to see the queue as healthy as it is. Please, everybody, keep it up. Um, we're loving the input. We're loving the shows that we're getting. It's all fantastic content, and uh, and please keep that up. But if you want to join the audiobook club, it means that you're going to have to get into the mailing list because the show is, um, you know, by the time you hear this, we'll have recorded one or two more episodes. So, uh, you know, waiting to, to hear the, the book announced verbally isn't going to work for the next couple of months at least. Of course, once you know, once it's scheduled, it's there in the calendar, and you can cheat. 
That is true. There is there is. Um, if you look at the calendar, you can just download the show whenever you feel like it. That is true. You don't have to wait for it to hit the RSS feed. Oh, I like getting one show every morning. It's my uh, daily driver on my way to work every day. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, so um, thanks everyone for joining us uh, and and listening through the episode. If you made it this far, thanks for making it all the way to the end. Um, please don't forget to listen to the next one, "Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom" by Corey Doctorow. Um, this is available in several places, but um, the audiobooks.com is is uh, just as easy as any other place to find it. Um, you can get it from his website, I'm sure. Uh, there's probably even ways you can find to pay for it. Corey's pretty good about, um, shut up and take my money. So, um, uh, thanks everyone for listening and thank you guys, especially for joining in tonight, Taj X1101 and 5150. Um, it's, it's been fantastic, uh, working with you guys again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for organizing that, man. It's, it's nice to have a place to come and talk about this stuff. It's a blast. Yeah. I can't wait till my turn comes around in the queue again, either. I got a good one. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Ciao. Peace. Want to say good night, 50? Good night, 50. (laughs) See ya. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. say this audiobook thing is kind of addictive it totally is isn't it and it doesn't help or hurt depending on what you're which direction you're going that i listen to everything at like one and a half or faster speed depends on what it is i i i don't know i can't listen to stuff at at extra speed most times i've pretty much gotten to where i can listen to everything at 2.75 speed um, I, I would love to get higher, but I think that's as fast as my brain can put it in. Even nice. I'm, even I'm astounded by that. Now, I can listen at high speeds, almost. I mean, I think 1.8 is is comfortable. I just, if I'm listening to something, it's because I want to listen to it. So I, I kind of feel like I should savor it. I totally get that. Um, 1.8 is kind of where I set my audiobooks. And I'm listening because I want to, but there is a huge amount of things I want to listen to and much smaller amount of time that my brain can actually do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's exactly where I am. If I didn't listen to stuff as fast as I did, uh, there's no way I would get it in. But um, to me, I'm just, I don't know. I just, I, I actually enjoy listening to things faster. If I slow it down, it's just like, oh my God, get to the point. Yeah, I had a... I use Pocket Casts on my Android phone as my podcatcher because it has the speed up. And I started listening to something before it had finished downloading, so it was playing it at 1x speed. And I'm like, oh god, is that what they normally sound like?
everybody sounds like they've been on Quaaludes or something. Like, everybody talks like this. I think part of it is good podcasters deliberately slow down. You know, the whole public speaking, you speak more slowly. But that's not how people speak when they're just talking to people. And so when I speed things up, it's almost bringing it back to typical conversation speeds. Hey, 5150. Hey, Pokey, it's a historic day. Oh, in what way? Got the uh, internet uh, radio upgraded today. I'm actually, my dad's watching a Netflix movie, and I'm downloading a distro as we speak. And we're the first? I'm, I feel so honored. You sound terrific, too. I thought he was going to say it was a special day because he was actually on time, but I guess this is more important. Well, yeah, he was... wasn't slowed down by all his internets. I was going to say it was Tuesday. Well, we I rescheduled the. Uh, well, got, I didn't reschedule it, but uh, we're supposed to work cattle today. But the uh, vet thought his he'd get his chute stuck in the mud out here, and because it's rained the last two days, and uh, wouldn't be able to get it back. So that opened a place in my schedule so I could be here this afternoon. Uh, does anybody else have anything before we start, or can or should we get started? I'm good. I'm That's ready. Cool. Pokey, is the quarter going? <laughs> it's been going for almost an hour. 